Well, good morning and welcome to almost spring. We're, we'll take what we can get. Uh, one quick announcement. <clears throat> Two weeks from today, we will be celebrating 13 years as a new congregation here at the Fieldhouse. And um, studies show that new church plants, new church starts, generally have a 90% turnover rate in the first five years, 75% turnover rate. And uh, that's probably about true for us, maybe a little less. But many new church starts don't make it. Maybe 60% are gone within five years. But uh, God has helped us 13 years later. Here we are. Amen. Hallelujah. Praise God. Two weeks from today, we're going to celebrate that. And um, you know how we celebrate. We have a big meal. <laughs> We eat and greet. So I hope you'll make plans to come and bring family and friends. It'll be, we'll have a wonderful and a happy day, two weeks from the day, anniversary Sunday. And then, of course, the following Sunday, which is April 21st, is Easter Sunday. So some wonderful times uh, coming up. I hope you'll join us for them. Uh, today, I want us to look at Malachi chapter 3. We've been issuing a tithing challenge. And I want us to look at this passage, familiar probably to many of you. In Malachi chapter 3, he says, beginning in verse 7... From the days of your fathers, you've turned aside from my statutes and have not kept them. Return to me and I'll return to you, says the Lord of hosts. But you said, how do we return? Verse 8, will a man rob God? Yet you are robbing me. But you say, how have we robbed you? In tithes and offerings. Verse 9, you are cursed with a curse, for you're robbing me, the whole nation of you. Verse 10, bring the full tithe into the storehouse, that there may be food and provision in my house, and put me to the test. This is the tithing challenge. Put me to the test. Says the Lord of hosts, see if I will not open the windows of heaven for you and pour down a blessing till there's no more need. Malachi 3.11, I will rebuke the devourer so it does not destroy the fruit of your soul and the vine in the field. In verse 12, and all nations will call you blessed and you will be a land of delight, says the Lord of hosts. Let me begin by, we've heard the word tithe, I'm sure, it's just an old English word 
which means a tenth. Sometimes it's actually used that way. Leviticus 27.30 says every tithe of the land, whether it's seed or fruit, is the Lord's. And every tithe of herd or flock and every tenth animal is holy to the Lord. So tithe and tenth are used interchangeably there. Now, this passage that we've referred to, uh, we need to make some distinctions here because this is uh, Old Covenant teaching. Bring all the tithe. If you don't, you're cursed. Now, that is the Old Covenant. And and some of you may not know this, uh, but I'm going to give you the entire Old Covenant tithe, there's a difference in Old Testament and Old Covenant. Where the Old Testament is our scripture as well as the New Testament. But the Old Covenant is a method by which God's nation in the Old Testament, Israel, would know God and be blessed by God. In the New Testament, it's through Christ. But in the Old Covenant, which is what this passage is zeroed in on, uh, there were actually three tithes. And uh, if you put those uh, three tithes up, um, most scholars will divide it into the priestly tithe, Numbers 18.21, to the Levites I've given every tithe for an inheritance in return for their service. So uh, you tithed and it went to the local priests in the Old Covenant age. The second tithe was called a worshiping tithe or rejoicing tithe, Deuteronomy 14.25. Take money in your hand and go to the place the Lord your God chooses. That would be in Jerusalem and at the temple. And spend the money for what you desire, ox or sheep or wine or strong drink, whatever your appetite wants. Take it and go in and eat before the Lord and drink before the Lord. And rejoice, you and your household. It sounds a little strange to us, but God is basically saying, I want you to be happy. Take your tithe, buy steak, strong drink. <laughs> that's, what, that's what he gives us here, Deuteronomy 14, 26. So y'all don't think I'm making this up. Now that doesn't mean you bring a beer to church. But in the Old Covenant, he said, I, I want you to take your tithe, take this particular tithe, spend it for food and drink and come and let's eat together. That's the idea. God still wants us to come and eat with him. A third tithe was what we might call the, the poor tithe or the widow's fund. Deuteronomy 14.29, the widow, the stranger, the orphan, the local poor, these were all to be helped in your local area. So one-ten percent went to the priest, one-ten percent went to God rejoicing and eating in the presence of God, one-ten percent went to the widow's fund, the poverty fund. And some have even said that there's, you know, there's also the temple tax, which was about uh, 3% per year and 
so that the whole old covenant tithe was over 30%. So that's why he says in verse 10, bring the full tithe, bring the whole tithe, all of it. How many of you glad Jesus came and put us under the new covenant? Amen. It's a good place to say amen right there. By the way, Jesus did mention the tithe in Matthew 23, 23. Bring that verse up for us. He says, Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, you hypocrites. You tithe, mint and dill, those little tiny seeds. You tithe right down to those little tiny seeds. But you neglect the weightier matters of the law, justice, mercy, faithfulness. These, that is the tithes, you ought to have done without neglecting the others, the weightier things. So he does mention the tithe as something they ought to have done. But in this passage in Malachi 3, we want to recognize a distinction between the Old Covenant and the New Covenant while, while keeping the teaching that is permanent. There's some things that are passing and some things that are permanent. Where, uh, For example, in the Old Covenant, and one of the reasons there was a 30% tithe is because the church and the state were one. They were all one entity. Israel did not have worship different from government. Now in the new covenant, church and state are divided. Now the kingdom of God is different from the kingdoms of men. So that's one reason there were, that they had a 30% tithe. Church and state were one in the old covenant age. Another is that you'll be cursed, verse 9, if you don't tithe the whole tithe. Now we know in the new covenant, that Jesus bore the curse for us. He paid the price of the law and therefore we are no longer under the curse. So I want to, I want to say that up front to you and I want you all to keep that in mind as we look at these things. But there are some things that are permanent. They do not pass away. Um, and here's one. In the whole Bible, in the Old Testament and New Testament, God has always reserved a portion of our income, our property, for Himself. From the very beginning, Adam and Eve, God gives them the garden. And right in the middle of the garden is a tree they couldn't have. And what it did was it established God's sovereignty and His Lordship over the whole thing. He kept a portion. When you come to the next generation, Cain and Abel, their children, Genesis 4 verse 3 and 4 says that they brought offerings to the Lord. How did they know to do that? Uh, 
And it also says that Cain brought the fruit of the ground. Not first fruit. See, it's different when you bring first fruit. That takes faith. You bring firstborn, that takes faith because you don't know if you're going to have a secondborn. But Abel, his brother, brought the firstborn of the flock. Cain seemed more casual. He just brought fruit. And then in the period of Exodus, of course, you have the tithe that begins. In the book of Joshua, you have the land of Canaan is going to be given to Israel. And they are now going to take the first city. What was the first city? Anybody remember? Jericho. And what did God say about the first city? Joshua 6, 19. All the silver and the gold and every vessel of bronze and iron is holy to the Lord. It shall go into the treasury of the Lord. That's the first city, Jericho. Everything in Jericho of value went to God. Why? Because it's the first fruit. It's the first city. It's the first of the flock. Even the firstborn. In Joshua 7, 11, when Achan took some of that first city and hid it, God says in Joshua 7, 11, they've taken of that which brings a curse and have stolen it, put it among their stuff. See, when you took the first, which God says, I have put a circle around that and said, that's mine. It leaves you 90%. Or it leaves you the whole, I get Jericho, but I'm going to give you all of Canaan. I get one tree, but I'm going to give you all of paradise. To take that, like Eve, Adam and Eve did, or like Achan did of Jericho, is to steal from God. It's the equivalent of taking money out of the offering plate. Wouldn't that be something? Wouldn't you be mortified if somebody said, uh, excuse me, but I think I saw you just take $50 out of the offering plate when it went by. Wouldn't that be embarrassing? I'm guessing. The first part meant you are trusting God to bless the remainder more than if you had the whole under your control. Exodus 23, 19, bring the first fruits into the house of the Lord. This even went included in the old covenant age, this idea of your children. What did you the firstborn you dedicated to God to be a priest? So Hannah in 1 Samuel 1 couldn't have any children. She was barren. So she prayed to God. And God said, I'm going to give you a child. 
but you're to give him to me. His name will be Samuel, which means asked for. And so God gave her Samuel. It says he opened her womb and gave her Samuel. She then, after the child was weaned in 1 Samuel 1, took Samuel up to Eli the priest and gave him to the tabernacle and to the priest, high priest there at the tabernacle for the service of God. But then in the next chapter, 1 Samuel chapter 2, it says that Hannah had a wonderful new news that came when she realized she's pregnant again. She had another baby boy. God gave her another baby boy. The next year she had another baby boy. And the next year she had another baby boy. And the next year God said let's mix it up a little. He gave her a baby girl. And the next year he gave her another baby girl. Five children from a barren woman when she gave the firstborn to God. First fruits means blessing on the remainder. Uh, here's another illustration of the first. First Kings 17. Elijah the prophet is sent to a widow in a time of drought. And she is, her husband, obviously her husband's dead and she has a little boy. And so she is out in the garden trying to gather enough to make one final meal. Elijah the prophet comes up and he says, what are you doing? And she says, I'm, I'm preparing our last meal. You have enough for a last meal? She said, yes. He said, and this is this amazing to me, to a widow with one final meal, he says, make me a cake first and bring it to me. Can you imagine how that must have sounded? Okay, so I'm going to take this. We've got one meager little meal left and you want me to give it to you? Yes. And she did. And you know what? Elijah said, the container, the vessel which holds oil in your house and the container which holds flour will not be depleted until the drought lifts, rain comes and harvest can replenish your kitchen. And it was so. First to God and His kingdom and His work. Blessing follows on the remainder. Firstborn son, first fruits, first meal or first cake, first city. So God, from Genesis on, has always drawn a circle around a portion of our income and said, that is mine. I want to establish my authority and provision in your life 
and I want you to exercise faith and I want you to trust me to bless the 90% more than 100% that is under your control. I want you to give it to me. One of the things that's permanent is that God has always kept portion of what we have. Here's something else. I think this is permanent. And that is, we have a temptation. It's ingrained in our, in our psyche. It's part of the fall, part of our brokenness as sinners and having a sinful nature that we are very insecure and we have deep-seated fears that we're not going to have enough even if we have God. It's part of the fall. And Satan will help us <laughs> with that fear. He will help us look at the amount that God wants us to give, not the amount that God gives to us. For example, in the Garden of Eden, when God said, you may not eat of this tree, all the other trees, you can have all you want. And Satan comes, crafty, and he initiates the conversation. This is Genesis 3.1. And he says to Eve, he says, uh, did God say you can't eat of, that you can eat of any of the trees? See, he's triggering it. He's provoking the, the, the conversation. And so she said, well, you can, we can eat of any of the trees except that one right there. Satan gets her to look and focus on the one that she cannot have. Rather than all the other that she can have. She can have all the others with God's presence walking in the cool of the day. Or she can have the one she can't have that he's restricted and lose all. So Satan gets her to focus. Uh, did y'all see uh, in the news this past week where a man in Michigan, I think it was in Sault Ste. Marie, he, he won a $4 million lottery. So what's the tithe on $4 million? It's not a trick question. <laughs> Amen, bro. <laughs> 400,000 is the tithe. Now suppose I come to that man and I say, uh, praise God for his blessing. <laughs> the tithe, which is the Lord's, it is holy to the Lord's, to be brought into his treasury is 400,000. You can make that out to New Haven Fieldhouse. <laughs> he would look at me like I was nuts. Why? Because he's looking at that 400,000. He would say, man, I can buy a mansion for that. But he's not looking at the fact that he's got 3.6 million. I had a guy, I was preaching on tithing some years ago, and, and someone said to me, he made about uh, 4,000 a month. Uh, about $1,000 a week. And so I was talking about the tithe that God 
always reserves that portion to him. All the way through. It's not old covenant. It's not a curse. But he's establishing his sovereignty and exercising your faith. And he said, if I gave a tithe, that's $400 a month. He said, that's a car payment. I said, yes. But he's looking at what $400 a month would buy if he controlled it. But he forgot $3,600 when God blesses it. I said, I said, you're focused on the wrong thing. You're looking at the tree that God said you can't eat rather than you've got paradise surrounding you. This is one of the things that Satan will try to do. Time magazine pointed out, this is back in 2016, that the majority of the people who win lotteries or get a financial windfall, about 70% of them, end up losing it and broke within five years. God can do more with our 90% than we can do with our 100%. Most of us don't need more money. We need blessing on the money we have. Now, I want you to look at verse 10. Pull up verse 10 there. Let me show you how God does this. Verse 10. Bring the full tithe into the storehouse that there may be food in my house. That is, that's the purpose of it. One of the purposes is that it provides for the, for the place of worship. Do we want a church? You say, well, you know, if you all close, I can go to the one next door. Well, what if it closes? Well, then we go to the one next to it. Well, then what if it closes? Do you want a church? Do we want churches? Places that can point you how to go to heaven, how to be forgiven, how to be blessed, how to pray, how to worship. Because we're more than physical, we're also spiritual. Do we want a place that just takes care of our physical needs or do we want to include a place that feeds us spiritually as well? One is eternal, one is temporary. So he says it's the purpose of it is that there may be food or provision, verse 10, in my house. Therefore put me to the test. That's the tithe challenge, says the Lord. And here he says, notice, See if I will not open the windows of heaven for you and pour down a blessing till there is no more room or no more need. Here's what God can do. He can provide with unanticipated, unexpected increase, supernatural provision. I will open the windows of heaven. In the wilderness, they had just come out of Egypt. They're in the wilderness, in the desert, walking across there. They, there are no 7-Elevens. There's no Myers. There's no place, no grocery stores to go to. So what do we do? No Amazon. What do we do? God 
opens heaven and behold, bread comes down from heaven. See, that's unanticipated. Deuteronomy 8 says that's things our fathers had never seen before. They didn't know about that. God can give you things that, you, that you're not anticipating or expecting. Uh, some uh, couple of years ago, we were... I'm not sure how the name came up, to be honest. It's just somebody said, you know, you should check out this financial advisor. And uh, I said, okay. And so I kept putting that off. Finally, I went to him. Me and my wife went in and we sat down and he made a passing comment. He said, oh, you know what? If you will do this, this will net you an extra $700 a month. I said, Really? Why didn't anybody tell me that? He said, I'm telling you right now. See, how did I end up in front of that man? By the way, we're trying to we're going to try to set up a churchwide breakfast where he can come and talk to us and share some, some things. But we did what he said, and we're getting an extra $700 per month. That's, that's over $8,000 a year. That was a raise. And... I thought, that's unexpected. I did not know that. And that is what he says right here. I will open the windows of heaven and give you a blessing and you'll have no more room, no more need. And if you ask my wife right now, I, we would tell you that we do not need a raise. We have not had a raise in about three or four, maybe five years, because we don't need a raise. We have enough money and make enough money that we don't need it. So I don't get it. He says, I will open heaven and give you a blessing till there's no more need. Look at verse 11. Here's the second thing he will do. I will rebuke the devourer for you so it does not destroy the fruits of your soul. That is to say, he will protect you from these unanticipated expenses. Unexpected expenses. How many times can God help you so your car don't break down? Issues with health insurance deductibles that you wasn't expecting, lawnmower repair, a tree falls on a neighbor's fence, or a neighbor's tree falls on your fence, which I had a couple of years ago. IRS surprises, those are always coming. The list of things that can happen to us is endless. And God says, I'll protect you from the devourer. See, God not only gives things we didn't expect, but he protects you from things you don't anticipate that take away from your income. It's a twofold guard that he gives to us here. One other thing I think that is permanent is that God wants to bless us. Look at verse 12. All nations will call you blessed and you'll be a land of delight. That is, you'll be pleasant 
your marriage will be pleasant. One of the things that happens in marriages is that they're no longer a delight. They're not pleasant. And they fuss over money. It's a big issue with people. Parents and children fussing over money. He says, you will be blessed. You will be a delight. You will be, the word means pleasant. And look at your conversation. Verse 13. Malachi 3.13. Your words have been hard against me, says the Lord. And you say, well, how did we speak against you? And you said, because it's vain to serve God. What is the profit of our keeping his charge of walking before the Lord of hosts? What's, what profit is it? Your words have been hard against me. So he says, if you want to get all of these priorities in line, take the tithe challenge. Bring the tithe, the portion. I've put a circle around a portion. Recognize what is mine. Don't take from the offering plate. It's robbing God with money that goes to the treasury. It belongs to Him. And the 90% will be blessed more than you anticipate. I'm just, I want to close with this. I know that uh, this, this issue with finances, most people, the majority studies show, the majority of people live from paycheck to paycheck. And I know that this is a struggle for people to decide I'm going to tithe and I'm going to pray to God to bless my 90%. Because that, for some people, that represents a huge sacrifice, that 10%. A faith, it's an exercise of faith. And it's a struggle. And I remember the turning point for me. We lived over on uh, Bristol Road, uh, the house that we lived in was, was right next to uh, the uh, Community Church of Christ that's there now. I think they tore it down after we moved out. It was evidently uninhabitable. <laughs> so we, we were there for, I don't know, three or four years. And, and God was speaking to me because when we were in Texas and had just moved here, we had a, a baby that was born with a muscle disease. She was in emergency care and intensive care for like three or four months. And the bill was way over $100,000. No insurance. So we wrestled, tussled back and forth with the hospital. And, and then we moved up here. I did not leave a forwarding address. Lived here in Michigan for... Uh, a few months, maybe a year, and God began to deal with me about that hospital. You owe them $100,000. <sighs> Can't get blood out of a turnum, blah, blah. But I could not get peace. He said, do you want my blessing? I said, I have to have your blessing." even if I have to be 
I thought, I'm going to be like a Mormon missionary. I'd be riding around on a bicycle trying to minister to people because I can't afford a car. And said, I want you to call, give them your address, and work out a payment plan. That was one of the hardest things I ever did. But I did. I called them. We worked out $100 a month for 150 years. <laughs> yeah, that's how long it'll take. But that's what they agreed to. And I don't think I missed a payment. About 18 months, maybe a couple of years later, I got a letter from them and it said, uh, we're glad to inform you that an anonymous donor has paid the remainder of your debt. Over $100,000. Somebody. If it was one of y'all, let me know. I'd like to know. I'd like to thank you. I have no idea. But I'll tell you who the ultimate anonymous donor was. The God of heaven. The God of heaven. God will bless, I do believe this with all my heart, we will grow in faith when we are determined to trust God to bless that 90%. More than we can handle that 100%. I believe that with all my heart. And He wants us to grow. This whole area of stewardship, it's part of discipleship. Stewardship is part of discipleship. You're stuck. Some people get stuck. I think I was stuck until I acted in faith and obedience to God. So I know there's a struggle. It was, it's, I, I still remember it. But I hope today you will begin the journey of giving to God what is His portion. Ushers, you come. Kevin, you come. And let's pray and ask God's blessing. And let's ask him to, as we take the tithe challenge, he's the one who said, he's the one who said, test me in this. See, verse 10, put me to the test, says the Lord of hosts. See if I won't open the windows of heaven for you. See if I won't rebuke the devourer. Let's see. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we take the tithing challenge today to trust you, to follow you, to obey you. God, we want a church. We want a well-funded church. We want a well-maintained church of excellence that glorifies your name. So grant your blessing on this time of worship and giving, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen.